I'm Christopher Lara, and in Talking to Boss, we dive into the story behind the boss. I'll have honest conversations with guests about how they started their own business or got promoted from mailroom to boardroom, and hear what it's like as a boss. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, hello, and welcome to Talking to the Boss. I'm Christopher, and today my guest is Stefan Roussan. For those who don't know Stefan, he's an agency owner, avid surfer, and father. Thank you for joining me today, Stefan. Did I miss anything in that introduction? No, I mean, I think we all think that we're a lot of things, but that's a pretty, yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> pretty good list. It's great to be with you, Christopher. Cool. Yeah, it's really hard to capture someone because uh, we're so much more than just that, um, but without taking too much time. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to invite you on because I've known you for a few years now. And from that side, it looks like you made it. Uh, you have your own business. You work with some of the largest law firms in the United States, and you shaped a business to fit your life. For anyone not familiar with ICBM Group, can you describe what you do? Sure. Uh, ICBM Group is a um, brand strategy, web design, and digital marketing firm with a specific focus on working with professional services firms. Um, that includes um, companies like law firms, accounting firms, um, financial and uh, financial and investment houses, um, and other types of consultancies where. Um, the people and their expertise are the product that the company is selling. Um, so if, uh, if you provide advice, guidance, um, and, uh, and other insights as what you do for a living, um, we do web design and marketing for those types of businesses and companies. Cool. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how it all got started? So my journey, um, got started really early. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, you know, I've really been uh, a business owner for, um, you know, the vast majority of my adult life. Um, it started really in my teen years um, when I worked originally uh, as a windsurfing instructor. Um, and I worked at a windsurfing school. And kind of right from the get-go, I realized that one theme running through my working self was that um, I was really super committed to doing things at a very high level with a lot of quality and in ways that were really going to resonate and connect with customers. And I found that I had a very high level of impatience or very little patience for being around um, uh, mediocrity, um, or being around or working with people and particularly working for people who were kind of okay with just getting by and the work being just good enough. And it didn't really matter what it was that we were doing, whether it was, you know, the level of instruction we were providing at the windsurfing school or later on in other, uh, in other jobs that I had as a young person, that was a recurring theme. And I always kind of obsessed and, and, and um, spent time thinking about how to navigate that frustration of doing things the way I felt that they needed to be done and the way they were being done by whatever the business was. Um, and I think that was really the seeds of where it started. Um, 
And then the way it actually happened was I was in my first, what I would call real job after graduating from college, which was, I was a staff reporter at a local newspaper, um, which was actually a tremendous uh, first job to have um, where, uh, where I really developed um, an intense work ethic because I was writing a good share of the whole paper each and every week and the deadlines were intense and you had more work to do than there were hours in the day. And that was really, really good practice for, you know, everything else that was going to happen after that. Um, and what happened was I was about 11 months into that job and I interviewed a guy for a story um, who was kind of one of the local pioneers in, um, uh, in the internet locally. Um, he founded um, kind of a magazine style website um, called Hamptons.com. Um, which, you know, I think, uh, I don't even think that business even exists anymore. Um, and, uh, but he, you know, he had already accumulated so much knowledge, in, you know, about the internet and the web. Um, and this was back like, you know, 95, 96. So, um, I was just so incredibly interested in what he was doing. Um, because as a, as a writer and also doing some photography, you know, a lot of my work for the local paper you know, it would be edited down for space all the time, you know, because it would depend the size of the paper each week would depend on how many ads they had. So, you know, if, if, uh, if they had, you know, a few less ads in a particular week, then there was a good chance that one of the stories that you spent a ton of time on would be half as long. So I became interested in the internet as a storytelling medium where you would never have to edit for space. Um, and so, I hooked into that like almost immediately and I bought a new computer and locked myself in my room um, with uh, Photoshop and an HTML editor and learned HTML and then just quit my job. Just I mean, took a leap of faith. I, it was a, it was, you know, I was young enough where there were no consequences, you know? And so there was also sort of a window of opportunity there where I was too young and, and naive and stupid to know that what I was doing would normally be considered crazy. And I was young enough when I was doing it where there were no consequences if I failed other than to just go and get another job. Um, you know, I didn't have kids depending on me. I didn't, you know, I, I was, I was out, I was out of college and if I had to, you know, <laughs> sleep in my car, like it was not a big deal. So, um, you know, that youth and inexperience was something that, you know, created a lot of courage and sort of, you know, worked in my favor. Uh, and that's that's how I started. And the crazy thing was when I started, nobody even really knew what the Internet was. So here I'd committed to having a business where I was going to build websites for people and tell their stories. And I would go in to a, to a business owner um, and to have, a, you know, to to make a pitch. And they would just look at me like, what's the Internet? <laughs> <laughs> so my original sales pitch included at the top explaining what a website actually was and not even what it was but really how it was going to become important in the future because at that time it still wasn't even important um and i think the first few clients that i got um i got because they felt sorry for me more than anything else and they're like oh well he's a nice young smart guy. <laughs> it's not he's not asking that much money so you know let's give it a go and then obviously um you know, but then obviously it was an early entry. And so then once people started to catch on and they knew what was going on, you know, 
I was the I was the name, and my my company, you know, locally was the name that that people already knew, and so that gave me a head start. And then, of course, you know, my my business went on to not be a local business so much as you know a niche specific business, which was a whole other you know progression and evolution. Do you remember those first clients and and how you even found them and, and got them to work with you? I just walked in. You just walked yeah, in. I just wow. I just walked in the door. Um, and now I did have the advantage, I did have the advantage in that, um, because I had worked for a year at the local paper, um, people knew me, you know, people knew me, people that I, business owners that I had contacted for stories and had talked to many times, you know, I could walk in and, and I had a, a reputation already, you know, as being, you know, a, a professional trustworthy person. Um, and so, um, I was not walking in cold, uh, in quite the same way. After how many years or at what point did it go from just being you, you started a business to, um, you having to hire your first person or partner up or so on? Yeah, no, it was about a year. First few, you know, first few sites I, I did on my own. Um, and then actually that person that I had interviewed, um, actually really liked what I was doing. Um, really liked the sites that I was doing. And um, he and I collaborated on a few projects as well, which was great because that was sort of a feeder of client, you know, clients that he already had um, that I was getting work from. Um, and then it was about a year in when, uh, when I had to hire sort of a first, you know, assistant to help talk to clients and develop content and so on. At any point, as your business is growing and you're hiring on more people, did you have any like moments where you had some reservations about being your own boss versus working for someone else? Um, I did not. Um, I did not. Again, youth, uh, youth and being at the beginning of my career where um, no matter what job I would have gone out to try to get, no one would have paid me. I would have gotten plenty of different jobs, but nobody would have paid me much of anything. So the bar was very low in terms of how much money I needed to make for myself to make it viable. Um, so, you know, within the first year in business, and this was not hard to do, but <laughs> I, I basically was making twice what I was making at the paper, you know, and in the second year I made twice that. So, um, you know, considering I was, you know, 24, 25, 26 at the time, um, you know, that part of it like was on pace with anything else that I could have been doing. So there really were, you know, there, there were no reservations on, from that standpoint. Um, and you know, the business was growing and people were responding really well to what we were doing. Um, so any reservations that I've had along the way, they were not in the early going, they were more things along the way where things, you know, when things are much bigger, you know, and there's a lot more on the line and the pressure becomes more intense where, you know, when you're, when I was 10 years in, 15 years in, where you're realizing like, wow, you know, 10 years of doing this is like 25 years of doing something else in terms of the number of hours you work in terms of that intensity and stress. Um, and when you feel, um, when you feel like you're getting into that zone where you're starting to pay the price for that mm -hmm. you know, sort of mentally and emotionally, um, that's where you start to have reservations, not about like, did I make the right choice, but more like, I don't know how long I can, you know, I don't know how long I'll be able to do this.
um, or needing or realizing that you need to make structural changes in your in your in your business in order to accommodate the fact that you can't necessarily set that kind of pace like for 50 years. So yeah, so so you're young and, and and you know you could always go do something else. You know, there's a fallback, but at some point or when did you realize there's no turning back? So I think um I don't know that there was a specific point. Um like that, I wouldn't just describe that for myself as being a moment in time, as much mm -hmm. as I would say, um, you know, you're always in a, um, I think as an entrepreneur, I think you're always, uh, you always have one eye in, in terms of on whether or not what you're doing, you know, continues to be um, relevant and worthwhile. And so there's always the question of like, um, you know, are, are people still digging this? Are my clients still digging this? Is the way that we're doing this um, still the right way to do it? Um, and, you know, you're always in every, I think every year you're in a in a, some type of self-evaluation phase to make sure that, you know, you're on a, you're on a good path that's going to keep going. Um, and if, you know, if you feel hesitations about that, or if, you know, sometimes the world just changes around you, right. You had all these companies that had like, you know, uh, look at the dial up modem business, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like all of a sudden they roll out broadband and it's just over, you know? So sometimes there are external market forces that get pressed on you that you have to think about like, Ooh, I don't know where this is going. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just like what you're doing and how you're doing it. You have to make sure that you're you know, that you're, that you're relevant and that people want what you're selling. Um, so I wouldn't say that there was a, a point of, of no turning back as much as you're just so have, have always have an eye on like whether you're doing the right thing and whether it's time to do something else. Um, we've been able to evolve where, you know, the demand for what we do has not really changed that much for us. What really has changed um, is the competitive landscape, you know, around 2009, 2010, with the kind of um, site builder explosion, oh yeah, with, definitely. Uh, you know, Word, you know, WordPress and Squarespace and Wix and Weebly and and you know, fifty million other flavors. Um, the the entire bottom end of the market, for for professional web design, completely uh, collapsed. Um, so, you know that you know that puts a great deal of pressure. Like we don't have as many as many clients as we did. 10 years ago, because, you know, they just can't, you know, the value proposition for a lot of the small businesses just isn't there with what's available through that space. However, the moment your website needs to do something, you know, or communicate something on a different level or have, um, you know, sort of a level of brand differentiation that you can't just stick your logo in the corner, you know, suddenly, you know, we, we're, we're in need again. So, that was an example of like an industry paradigm shift where we didn't, you know, we didn't create that. We weren't doing anything any different, but the availability and the sort of democratic nature of, of that technology caused us to have to sort of realign, resharpen, you know, and adjust to that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen lots of that. Everyone has a friend who can build a website right. really quickly with these builders. Yeah. Well, it's funny then, even with those now, you know, AD, there then there are market factors the other way that work in your favor. So, for example, so that happens, right? But then, uh, but then, so does um, hacking, 
and then so does yep. um, so does ADA compliance. Um, so all of a sudden, website, yeah, website loading speeds, website loading speed, you know, yeah. all, all kinds of things. So. But I mean, those are kind of two examples, you know, with uh, with with security and and doing uh, doing good ADA compliance, um, which for uh, for the audience is um, making websites compatible for users with disabilities. Um, which you know has has created um, a rampant um, sort of cottage industry of flagrant lawsuits. Um, you know that is a new risk factor for businesses. Suddenly, you know that cheap WordPress instance or not being able to get ADA support through Squarespace suddenly can become very expensive. So yeah. you know those are market forces that drive people back to a professional organization that has that kind of expertise. I imagine yeah, you're going to start seeing that, especially with uh, all the different compliance around cookies, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the European laws in California. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. Every, every state's going to come out with their own. New York's about to come out with their own. Um, yeah. And today, for example, um, so Google, uh, Google same site cookie rules about to roll out. They were supposed to turn it on today. They didn't because they're afraid because the internet's not ready. But yeah. literally, you know, you, for your audience members, Google's about to break the internet. <laughs> right? So we were hip to that. And so the last several weeks, we we patched over 200 websites with same site cookie compliance, cross SSL, embed compliance, and so on. We are the ones, our agency is the one who, who informed Vimeo that their player was going to have same site cookie embed problems. And... <laughs> So we were like the leader on the thread, letting them know. So yeah, everybody, just so you know, if you use you know Chrome or Firefox, the internet's about to break. Yeah, uh, I think it, I think so many people, or the vast majority of people out there with a website, are probably uh, bringing some law yeah. and and don't realize that they're just yeah. not going. You're probably not going to get sued until you become a smaller business, and then yeah, you, you have to be careful, and yeah. that's when you don't want to count on your neighbor being in charge of your website right. and right. Yeah, online presence. Suddenly your, your, uh, your web guy um, is not answering his calls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or there's that moment of silence when you ask them a question and, and it's just like, yeah. you see it right over their head. Yeah, crickets. Yeah. So I'm a boss, but I'm not a business owner like you. So I'm curious um, what your experience, um, just carrying the weight of the, the whole business uh, what well, your answer is going to be to this, but what do you feel is the hardest part of being a boss? Um, I mean, there, there are a few. <laughs> there, <laughs> I know mine. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a few. Um, I would say, um, I would say it's really three things. I mean, it depends on your, I think that's, that question is going to be answered differently depending on your, on the kind of, on, sort of how you're wired as a person. For me, um, the hardest has always been in the moments where um, you need to let people go or part ways with people. That yeah. is the hardest. Um, that, uh, that, that's my answer. I mean, that's, that's, that yeah. there, you know, as I, I've been doing this almost 25 years. And if I'm in that situation tomorrow, um, I am agonizing for days prior in full 
fight or flight mode, imaginary conversations, reeling through. Cause you, cause you know, I love my people and it is very, very hard. Um, and regardless of what the circumstances are, it's just brutal when, when you have to go through that and deal with that. Um, so I would say that that's, you know, that's definitely up there. Um, I would say the loneliness is up there. Um, you know, the boss is in a very, very different position um, than anyone else in the company. And for most of the time, you know, your team um, and, the, and the people who work for you will, you know, there's a little bit of a glorification of what it is to be the, the boss, you know, um, and it isn't really anything like what they think it is. And it's super lonely that way um, because everyone thinks that, you know, internally, everyone thinks that, you know, your, your motivations are different than, you know, what it is for everybody else. Um, it's your name on the bottom line of everything that happens. You are responsible for every single action of every single one of your employees. Um, every product, every project that goes out the door you know, goes out the door with your uh, approval um, and is going to be perceived as your work, uh, you know, as the owner. Um, so that, that's a hard thing for other people to relate to. And it creates a certain uh, loneliness that you have to get used to. Um, you can have an amazing team with incredible number ones and number twos. Um, and even when you do, even, even when you've got a great team with great support around you, there's still an element of just at some point, you're going to be in situations where you're going to be alone. It's going to be 11 o'clock at night. You're going to be the only person in the office and you're going to have to deal with whatever that thing is that's got you there. Um, and no one else is going to be able to, to do it for you or tell you how to do it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, having no one else to to turn to, well, unless you have friends like you who, who are in the same. Boat. Well, you know, I think it's I think it's you know I really enjoy talking with other business owners, and sometimes you know sometimes we talk shop, and sometimes we don't, but we enjoy each other's company just because you know that there's a shared experience there that's hard to um, that's hard to for others to relate to. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny because I you know my wife is a school teacher. Um, and, you know, being around someone who every day who works in, um, who works in the public sector, in the public sector and the stuff that goes on in the public sector, sometimes it's just like, you can't even understand, <laughs> you know, it is a completely different world. Um, so yeah, it, uh, so it can be, it can be a little lonely for sure. And then I think the other thing, uh, that, uh, can be very hard is that, um, you know, there's just never really a break um, because you're responsible for the health of your of your company, for the health of your organization. And, you know, sometimes things are good and some things things are less than good. Sometimes the economic forces are working in your favor and sometimes they're terrible. But what it, it doesn't matter. Like the pressure to deliver is there all the time. You know, payroll comes every two weeks, you know. The bills come every two weeks um, or whenever, you know, so um, the pressure is just is is always there. There's never an escape valve. You're not on vacation when you're on vacation. Um, even if you've got the flexibility to go on vacation whenever you want, 
you know, you're not off in the same ways. That doesn't mean that you have to be plugged in. You can still, you can be a business owner and still have nice vacations, but there's always going to be a slice of your brain that is going to remain devoted to what the business is. There's just no getting away from that. Yeah, I found that there have been some nights now where I'll go to sleep thinking about um, uh, an issue that we're, uh, we're having or that has to be dealt with, and I come up with solutions, and it affects my dreams, mm-hmm. where uh, I'm literally dreaming about about the subject matter. And I wake up, I'm just like, that That was a really disappointing night of sleep, because yeah. <laughs> I felt like I was working yeah. during it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes there's ones like, there, there are other ones too, like I remember... I remember times where, you know, when you're working on a, a really monster project and you get to the point in the project where um, it's all hands on deck for QA. Um, and um, and you're familiar, obviously, with the websites that we build. It's built big websites with enormous amounts of data and lots of business rules, um, you know, and, and so many different content management intricacies and so on. Hyper custom, hype, you know, super bespoke. And I can just remember t- times, you know, where you're T minus two weeks, you know, in that last window and the testing gets so, so intense and you're just laying in bed and just business rules are reprocessing in your head. Like, oh my God, like, is this particular view on this page? Like, I don't think it's sorting reverse chrono. I think it's sorting chrono. And I don't think that this filter has been applied. And then you're going, you, then you get out of bed and you go and check it and it's fine. It's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> but you're just looping on it, you know? It's just like, yeah. And you wake up and you're just like, man, that was, that wasn't sleep. <laughs> no. So, so you kind of touched upon it just a little while ago, um, uh, like a, a subject matter that's probably on everyone's mind. Um, it'd be interesting to see your take on it. But has COVID-19 presented any new challenges or opportunities for your business? So I would say, I would say both. Um, it's presented both uh, opportunities and challenges. Um, in terms of opportunities, um, there, are, there are a few. Um, one is you get to kind of pressure test your organization a little bit. Um, and, you know, in with, you know, more people working remotely, you know, just making sure that, uh, that your systems of communication and workflow, um, are as optimized as they could be in our case. Um, you know, we, our team has always been kind of partially distributed. Um, so that wasn't such a challenge for us, but it's still a good exercise, um, uh, we had a, actually a bunch of work related to COVID, um, initially. So we actually had a little bit of a scramble, like we had a little bit of a burst that isn't a net positive. That's a net zero because COVID also killed a bunch of work too. So that kind of evened out. So that was, that was okay. Um, you know, we did, uh, the phone rings less and there's less distraction, so we've been able to work in a little bit more focused way. Um, and we have been able to um, get to some internal initiatives, um, some R&D on some new things that we've been wanting to do. Um, we've been able to push that forward a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, so those are, some of the, those are some of the good things. The hardest thing is that, you know, clients, new, developing new business is really limited. You know, um, not a lot of people are reaching out because budgets are tight and everyone, even even um, companies and firms that are doing just fine, 
um, that have, you know, that have plenty of cash. They want to make sure that their cash is going to last through whatever. So no one is really earmarking for, if you have a website, you're probably not earmarking right now in this moment for a new fancy website with a big spend. Um, so, you know, it's pretty crickets as far as that, that goes. Um, and then you also don't want to be tone deaf when you're reaching out. So you can't really press too hard, you know, and even if you'd get a, even if you get somebody, even if you get a little bit of a hook, it's not like you can set up an in-person meeting. Um, and some people are kind of old school. They're waiting for, you know, things to go back to normal before they, you know, start, start doing stuff and spending money. So I would say that that's probably the biggest challenge is new business, you know, new business development. Luckily, you know, we have a good stable of clients and they've been keeping us busy with um, some of the existing projects that we had going and, you know, updates and so on. So, well, uh, let's end things on a upbeat and positive mm -hmm. note. So what's been your most satisfying moment in business? It, it doesn't anything, just the yeah. most satisfying moment. It could be opening up your new office. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would say that. Um, I don't know that I can point to a moment as much as just sort of the, you know, some of the general satisfaction, which is actually, you know, in a way better. It's like ongoing. Um, you know, when you work so hard to build something um, and it starts, you know, you know, in your pajamas, locked in a room with a computer um, and you don't know what you're doing and it's just an idea, a crazy idea. And then when you see it turn into or evolve into something real that has momentum and people like what you're doing and they're calling and they're telling other people and they're calling and all of a sudden, like, you've got a real business going. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. You know, and that's when you realize, like, OK, I'm, I've hit on something and this thing has legs and it's going to go. And this is going to be something that, you know, I'm going to be able to provide for myself. Whatever job I would have taken is now available for somebody else to take, right? Because I've created my own job. And then when you start hiring people, suddenly you, you are creating a whole mini economy where that thing that you created is now providing livelihoods for other people. Um, and they're paying taxes and they're contributing, you know, and again, the jobs that they would have taken had you not done what you did. You know, that, you know, other people can have those, you know, so it's, I think it's that whole thing. It's that the most satisfying thing is when something that you worked so hard to create generates momentum and then almost generates like a little mini economy unto itself. That is incredibly satisfying. That That's such a cool way of thinking about it. Um, because when I think about your business and where it's located um, on, on the North Fork and Mattuck outside of New York City, um, yeah, you're such a, you did create this mini economy that's contributing directly to this town's um, businesses. Um, yeah, wow, that's a really cool way of looking at it. Yeah, it's cool. And, um, and it was cool out here. We don't have as many, we still have some lo local employees. We don't have as many because there's been such a youth uh, drain, brain drain from this area, yeah. Um, yeah. as it's become a more a more popular and more expensive place to to live. Um, but you know, we still have some, and certainly, um, you know, there's some of the better paying jobs in this area. You know, which is lar largely dominated by service businesses and and so on. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but even so, you know, and, and you know, even for the the for the people who work remotely. Um, 
you know, it's uh, it becomes, uh, you know, a lifeline to them as well. So it's it's very cool. And and um, that part of it never gets old. Cool. Well, Stefan, thank you for joining me on uh, Talking with a Boss. Um, it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, for anyone who uh, wants to check out Stefan's business, it's icvmgroup.com. And if you want to put in a last sentence about what you guys do uh, for anyone who's looking. Oh, yeah. Uh, brand strategy, web design, digital marketing for, uh, solutions for professionals. Yeah, cool. All right, great. Always great to talk to you, Christopher.